0: Uh, Sorry to keep you waiting. I wasn't sure if that was my time or we're singing another song. I don't know. It's Christmas morning. I left my phone at home. I normally follow the service flow on my phone, but we are all here. We are excited to be here. I'm excited to be here. Are you excited to be here? I am sorry I'm not more festive this morning in my dress. Uh, I actually had a really awesome sweater, Christmas sweater that I got for Christmas. It says jingle Bell, surfing swells, barrels all the way. And I have it in my office, was planning on wearing it, and it was just too hot, man, which I don't mind. I love Christmas in Florida. It, you may be here for the first time today. We're really glad that you're here. You know, if you want to know more about us, get more involved with us, uh, make sure that you talk to somebody on your way out at the Information Center. You can talk to me. I'll be out in the lobby as well. Uh, we're just excited to be here. You know, last night, We had two services. We had over 600 people here last night, which was awesome. After the first service, three people were baptized. We did it. Yeah, absolutely. They were wearing their jeans and their shorts, and we just gave them plastic bags to put over their car seats. And that's just so encouraging, so awesome, because they said, listen, I'm not letting a Christmas Eve party or the way I look or, you know, a wet car seat get in my way of making the most essential connection that I can make in my life, and that's the connection with God the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ, being united with Him in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, and baptism. And so, you know, that's, that's really what our vision is about. Is it about trying to help people relationally connect with God, spiritually go, grow with Christ, so that they can go into their daily lives with significant purpose, with meaning, with the kind of joy that comes. Uh, through that relationship with Christ. but Listen, I, I just want to share this message with you this morning. Everybody's in here. We've got all the kids in here because it's Christmas morning. It's a special morning. We're just going to keep it short and to the point. Let me read this verse for you. I'm going to throw it up on the screen so you can see it there. 1 John says this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we reclaim complete now this text does not describe the christmas events it doesn't talk about a manger it doesn't talk about shepherds it doesn't talk about angels singing but what it does is it describes what the events mean it describes the kind of impact the events make in the life of an individual who places their faith and their trust in jesus christ who came to be with us and so as we explore that as we think about that you know what It's more than, the Christmas story is more than we get out of school, (laughs) or we get a few days off from work, you know, or we get some warm and fuzzies and some good memories uh, that we just enjoy this time of year. It's greater than that. It's bigger than that. It has a deeper meaning. In fact, it changes people because God changes people. He's in the business of doing that. And even more importantly, let me make sure that I note this. There are some people uh, on a Christmas morning or other big events like this, they don't have those warm and fuzzies, and they don't have the memories. And so it's a very difficult time for them. And the Christmas story is for all of us, especially for those who are struggling, especially th- for those who are, who are downtrodden, so to speak, and they don't have the warm and fuzzy memories because what's behind the events What the events mean, what they lead to, they're so much more significant, and they're so powerful. So what do the Christmas events mean? Well, they mean that salvation is by grace, that God has saved us by grace. Do you notice how John talks of Jesus here? You know, in John's gospel, he calls Jesus the Word. He says, "...in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God." And John, once again, here in this letter that he writes, he calls Jesus the Word, but even more so, he says he's the Word of life. He's the one where life comes from. You know, it goes on in verse 2 to say that Jesus is from the Father. Uh, This verse doesn't just simply say that Jesus has life or he gives life. That's implied. But no, it doesn't just simply say that he has life or that he gives life. And notice that the life isn't just some typical life, like your life will be better. A lot of us want to come to Jesus Christ because we just want things fixed in our life. But it's much more profound than that. No, the life he's talking about is eternal life. It's complete life. It's essential life. If you get that right, then the various things and relationships in the current life we live, they can be profoundly changed because God changes people. And that's the kind of life that he's talking about here. And it doesn't talk about just giving it. No, it says that he is the life that he embodies it, that he represents it. Jesus is the life, and he comes along and says, I am the way, I am the eternal life. You know, when it comes to this salvation by grace, so many people say, listen, it's just about being good. You know, getting specific details about God's word right, that's just not that important. What's important is that we're good and that we love people. But here's the problem with a good works mentality is ultimately, in the end, it leaves you fearful and insecure. Because every single one of us, every single one of us, at some point, at some time, at some place, we come to grips with the fact that I'm not good enough. I don't love enough. I don't help enough or whatever it may be. So it can leave us very fearful, and it can leave us in a place where we are insecure as well, or it can lead to pride and disdain. Well, I've done really well. What's wrong with you? I've been able to figure it out. Why can't you figure it out? But you know what's behind the Christmas events? The fact that Christ, the fact that God came to us recognizes that we can't make it all the way to Him. And he comes and he steps in a place to where he's accessible, to where he's there for us. Because his salvation, his freedom, it comes to us by grace. And what John is trying to say here is, this isn't just a nice story about Jesus. It's a real story. It happened. They saw him. He really lived. He really died. He really rose from the dead. It's really God who came to be with us. He's not just a wonderful teacher. He's just not a really smart person who existed on the earth and demonstrated this amazing capacity to love and be good. He has an amazing capacity to be loving and good in every situation and never fail because he's God. Because God came to us. Now, the Christmas message also means you can have fellowship with God. John's language is very much about fellowship. It's intimate. Think about how he talks in this passage that we just read. He talks about seeing he talks about hearing. He talks about touching. He talks about things that are very intimate. When you have a good friend, you hug them, you shake their hand, you get a chance to, to talk to them, to hear from them as they hear from you. He's talking about fellowship. God is not just a concept of goodwill, it's not just this idea. Well, it's a cultural idea. God represents what's good and he represents goodwill, and there's this idea, and it's kind of mythological, and so we just simply trust in that. He's not just some sort of distant ball of energy, pressing his energy around like the force in Rogue One or whatever it is, right? This isn't the concept of God that is reality. It's a concept that our culture tries to push. He's not just some distant being. He's not just some distant ball of energy. He's not just some good idea. He's living among us. And he demonstrated that in a very fellowship kind of way. For example, you know, look at the sun. Actually, don't look at the sun because you'll burn out your retina. Right? You can't. You can't look at the sun. You can't see it. And when you try, it's too glorious. It's too bright. It's too magnificent. It, it'll burn out your eyeballs if you do that. You need a filter. You need something that can help you filter out the. Glory, the brilliance, the amazing things that you just cannot take within your eye. And, and that filter gives you an opportunity to be able to maybe see the edges of the sun, or the, a really powerful filter can help you see even more about the sun. But think about this when we sing, Hark the Herald, Angels Sing, there's a little line that goes like this Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. And Jesus Christ is that filter. Who came to be with us, to fellowship with us, to help us to see the glory of the Father. Remember, Moses tried to look at the glory of God. He wanted to see the glory of God. And God says, you can't do it. He says, it'll burn out the retina of your soul. Because God is too glorious. But he's so loving. He has such a capacity to be with us. And He gave us an ability to see Him, to understand Him, to know Him in a very intimate way. This is what the whole concept behind the term incarnation is. The God of all creation, the God who is powerful, the God who is without form, became a form in such a way to filter His glory so that we could see His brilliance, His goodness, His love, His beauty, and so that He could show us how much He desires to be with us, to fellowship with us with us. Christmas events also mean that love really does matter. Love is essential, and love makes sense. You know, science will tell us that love is just nothing more than a chemical reaction, or it's nothing more than a, a culturally defined reaction, that culture creates this concept of love. You know, in 1961, Nikita Khrushchev, the Russian premier of his time, said something like this, in Russia, our official religion is atheism. We are officially atheists. We have even more evidence for atheism now because we sent a man into heaven and there was no God there. So we have more evidence than ever. Well, I'm so thankful that during his time when he made this statement, C.S. Lewis was alive and he actually responded to this statement that he made. He responded in a little essay called The Seeing Eye. And he basically said this. Think about it. Everybody, if there was a God, you wouldn't relate to that God the way that a person living on the first floor relates to a person living on the second floor. You see, Nikita was actually thinking of God as someone who lives on the second floor as we live on the first floor. And as soon as we went up there and saw there was nobody there, well, God doesn't exist. But Lewis goes on to say, think about it. If there was a God, you would relate to him in the way that Shakespeare relates to Hamlet. Shakespeare created Hamlet. The only way Hamlet can know anything about Shakespeare is if Shakespeare writes something about himself into the play. As we think about this idea of of love, we see it demonstrated profoundly in the fact that Jesus Christ came to live with us. That God brought a solution for our struggles to us. His love is that amazing. You know, Dorothy, uh, a lady by the name of Dorothy Sayers was one of the first women to graduate from Oxford. So this is kind of a dated story. And she was a writer of mystery novels, and she created this character called Lord Peter Wimsley, who was this aristocrat who solved all of these mysteries? And in the middle of all these novels and all these short stories about Lord Peter Wimsley, who was a single man for a long period of time, something changed in her writing, something changed in her novels. All of a sudden, Lord Peter Wimsley fell in love when he met this woman named Harriet Vane. And here's what the whole story came down to uh, this Dorothy. She was representative of Harriet Vane, or Harriet Vane represented her. She wrote herself into the story. She, she fell in love with the character she had created, this Lord Peter Wimsley. And she, she felt so bad for him to see him alone, to see him without love, to see him without somebody to care for him and be close to him and be fellowship with him. And so she wrote herself into the story. Christmas is about God who created us out of love, and he wrote himself into the story. He created in real-time events a plan and a scope so that he could be with us, so that we could understand what love truly is, so that we can see it in action, so that we could see how Jesus Christ was never condemning of those that he interacted with who were struggling with sin and and, and faltering to follow God. He continued to encourage. He continued to put them on the right path. He continued to tell them what the truth was and also demonstrate his grace to them. He showed them what the goodness of the Father looked like. This is why it's all about trying to know who Jesus Christ was, who he gave himself to be to us, to show us how to live, to show us that he gave up his life for us. Because the Christmas story, the events, what they mean is that we have an all-sufficient, loving Savior in Christ. And, and here's the last thing. What do the Christmas events mean? When we look at this passage from 1 John, and it doesn't give us all the details. It gives us the backstory. It gives us what does those details mean. Here's the final thing that Christmas means. It means you can have joy. Do you have joy? And I'll just be honest with you. Some days I do. Well, let me put it this way. Some days I'm happy. And some days I'm not happy. But my goal is, through my faith in Jesus Christ, is to every day have joy. And for people to be able to see that joy in some way or another. John says, as we completed this verses 1 through 4, He came, why? To make our joy complete. When we think of this concept and this idea of joy, Uh, I've lived in Florida my whole life, so I can't comprehend this illustration because it involves a basement. You know what we call a basement in Florida? It's a swimming pool. And uh, I heard a story of someone who lived in Philadelphia, and they had this basement. It was always very cool and very wet, and of course when it rained, it just even get more wet to where sometimes they'd even get some water in, in the bottom of the basement. Well, it turns out he found out from other neighbors living in the area that there was this subterranean river it came down out of the mountains, and it flowed this big wide swath through this large section of homes. And so, literally, they had this subterranean river of this very cool, refreshing water running just literally feet, you know, beneath their basements. And every time rain, it would rain, it would get even a little bit more wet or a little bit more damp. And the point in that is this, is no matter how dry, no matter how arid, no matter how hot the second floor got, there was always this coolness, this dampness, this refreshingness down deep. There was this subterranean river of joy that flowed there. Let me try and explain it in a different way. Uh, I, and I, I gained this illustration from one of my professors whom I dearly love from college. And I've, I've made it my own in a different way. You know, Many of you know that I, I love to surf. And I've surfed in quite a few different places. And I've gotten a chance to surf some really big waves. I remember years ago when I was in a lot better shape than I'm in now. And uh, I would go out surfing in some places that I surfed some very large waves. And, you know, sometimes you just you wipe out pretty bad. And you've got 14 feet of water above you. And it's turning you and twisting you and everything else. But I was in good enough shape. I surfed well enough in, in those days that, you know what, typically I would just cover my head and i just start spinning. Don't just wait. Just be calm, just be patient, because I knew sooner or later it was going to pass. I'd get my bearings, I know what's up and what's down, that's the first thing that you do, and I'd make my way to the surface, and I'd take a big breath of air, and I'd get my board, and I'd go do it again. Well, this friend of mine, this professor, he told the story a different way. He had these two daughters, he moved to Florida, and they didn't know how to swim, and so he thought the way that you teach somebody how to swim is you just throw them in the pool, so he threw his daughter in the pool. Bad move. You know, that, that requires counseling in the future, okay? Well, he jumped in and helped her because obviously she wasn't swimming too well. Went and got some floaties, put floaties on her, but guess what the daughter did? Now that when they go in the pool, what does she do? She clings tightly to his neck. She won't let go. But over time, she gained his trust, and she started to get comfortable with her surroundings to the point to where he could take his hand and shove her head under the water, pop back up, and she'd come up smiling, giggling, laughing, having the greatest old time. You see, she got into a place where she knew no matter how long she was down, no matter how long she was under, she's going to come back to the top. She was going to take in a deep breath of air that would bring life and vibrance. This is what joy is. We live in a world that's broken. We know it. And the Christmas story invades that broken world. It comes into that broken world. To give us an, an eyesight of something that's greater. To know that no matter how long we're held under, we're coming back up for air soon. But, but this is why I tell you that, you know, in my younger days surfing, because I have gotten a little bit older. I'm not as in good shape as I used to be. Um, I can't hold my breath as well as I used to it at times. You know, and and there's just some times, even recently, where we surf some pretty big surf, and I got held down a good bit. And I remember a couple of times I thought, okay, this is too long. And I started to panic a little bit. You know, and I knew where the top was but I just felt like I should have already gotten there already, you know, and another foot goes by and I'm thinking, how much further? I thought I was already there and I finally get to the top. I'm trying to take a big deep breath, grab my board really quick because I know another wave's coming. What I'm saying is, is all of us as Christians, we have those moments where we struggle to know what that joy is like but we know when we have a deep-seated faith in the events in the reality behind those events of christmas that we're going to come to the surface sooner or later and take a big breath of a deep breath of fresh air that god provides it's as almost as if this we, we see heaven here and it's idealistic in every way it has everything we could ever desire and, and imagine and want. And down here's earth. And, you know, listen, there's some good things about earth. But you know what? There's some things that we really struggle with and some things that really, we really have a hard time with. And between the two, there's this concrete slab. And Christmas is God punching through the concrete slab. He doesn't just simply provide us a window to see into the heavens and to see all the idealistic vision of what's to come. He comes through that hole that he punched through, and he comes down to be with us, and he shows us more profoundly the way of life that we can live. So here's the reality. God came to save you. God came to fellowship with you. God came to send a love letter to you in the form of his son so you can have joy. That is greater than any sorrow and struggle in this life. This is what's behind the details of the Christmas message. Let's pray.